Welcome to the John E. Martin Mental Health Care Podcast, created in partnership with Google and UC Berkeley Haas School of Business. I'm Britt Jensen. And I'm Michael Martin. And we are your hosts for today. I'm thrilled today to welcome Rebecca Egger and Dr. Helen Egger to the podcast. Rebecca is the CEO and Dr. Egger is the Chief Medical Officer of Little Otter Health. Rebecca is also Dr. Egger's daughter and together they start Little Otter, a company that takes a family first approach to mental health care. Rebecca and Dr. Egger, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. So glad to be here. Yes, we are so excited to talk to you today. And before we jump into the many questions that we have, we were wondering if you could share something that you're grateful for today, maybe something that has made you smile or something that you're, you think might make you smile later this afternoon. Well, we've been um, working in the same location today and have one of our team members visiting us. And it's been really lovely. I think ever since I moved back to North Carolina, it's been such a pleasure to get to work on this this company together and spend time together. Yeah. And I would say, I think there is that joy because so much of our work together for everyone is virtual now that there's just, I think, extra joy and appreciation when we have the opportunity to work together in person, both professionally, but then to have dinner together and to spend that kind of really human time together. And we're really enjoying that today. Awesome. Yeah, that is such a silver lining that we don't we don't get to do it as often, but when we do, it's really, really special time. Yes. So to start off, Rebecca, I was wondering if you could give us a quick intro to Little Otter for listeners who aren't familiar with the great work that you're doing. Little Otter is a digital mental health platform for young children and their families, really focused on providing the full spectrum of mental health care support for children zero to 14. We take a very family-first approach. We can talk more about that later, but really focus on how do we curb the mental health crisis that we're currently in and support the mental health of the youngest kiddos. Could you tell us more about what inspired you to start Little Otter together as as a team? So I'm a child psychiatrist and with a focus on early childhood mental health, and I have been in academic medicine for 30 years, actually, prior to founding and joining Little Otter full-time. Really, the passion and mission of my work is giving children the access to the quality care that they deserve and families to the information to know when their children need mental health care. I say it like, when to worry is the question, because we know that the earlier that we identify mental health challenges, the better the outcomes are going to be for both the children and the families. So I was at Duke for 20 years as a faculty member and then most recently chair of child psychiatry at NYU Langone in New York City. And so grateful for my experiences from a scientific point of view, but also from a services point of view, what myself and my faculty have been able to build, but just the increasing recognition that the incredible knowledge that we have about child mental health is not reaching beyond the walls of academic medicine. And this is true for families in terms of understanding when to worry and, you know, to have knowledge about child mental health, but also in the health system in terms of pediatricians referring children, and then even more broadly being able to have access to mental health care and be able to find providers in and of itself is a big problem. But then if you layer on having access to quality care, 
and specialized care, like caring for your children under the age of 14, 14 and under, is not the same as taking care of children who are 15 to 18 years old. And so, you know, being able to take a developmental approach to care for children and recognizing that it's going to differ based on the age of the child. And, you know, I'd been doing work in digital health and had a vision for this company for a long time, but the question is, who is going to be my partner? And this is where I will pass it to Rebecca because it was when she said, Mom, I think I'm the person to make this vision a reality that really the seeds of Little Otter were planted. So I have a background, obviously grew up in in North Carolina. I have a background in computer science and graphic design and product design and had worked at startups before Little Otter. I was at a company called Palantir. And then I led the infectious disease program at the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. And so had a lot of experience with learning how do you translate complex scientific ideas into products that are accessible for more people. But the other thing is I was Helen's daughter and I grew up every single place that we went. When someone found out what she did, they would say, should I worry about my child's behavior or where do I get help? Where do I go? What do I do? And it was so clear that there was massive amounts of need that were not being discussed. A solution did not, and I would say until us, does not exist to really address the core needs that families have, which is, I know something's wrong with my kid. I feel it. Where do I go? How do I deal with this? And the fact that mental health does exist and we need to care for it in the youngest kids and make sure that we bring in their families. So I saw a massive opportunity for us to partner together and and build out this company. Yeah, and I think the key thing about Little Otter is it could not exist without each of us. And so people ask, what's it like to have mother-daughter team working together? And one of the key things that makes it work is we are each bringing our area of expertise to the table, right? My expertise is medical and scientific, and Rebecca's is technology, data, product. And we have deep respect for each other in terms of our expertise and know that what we're building needs both of these perspectives together. And then I think, you know, the real story is like, my brother has a rare autoimmune disease. He got sick when he was 13 years old. I was in high school and it turned our family upside down. And Helen can tell more about that story. But we went through the healthcare system as a family. And the way that healthcare for children is usually discussed is it looks just at the individual patient, right? And when you're dealing with mental or physical healthcare issues, it impacts the entire family. And the system is not made to work that way. And so from the beginning, we've wanted to build Little Otter in a way that what if this had existed for us? If What if this was available for us as a family? Yeah, and I'll speak to two ways that Little Otter was born out of the experience with my son's illness. And just to be clear, it presented with psychotic and other neuropsychiatric symptoms and is an autoimmune, it's autoimmune encephalitis. And so again, my child is alive because I was his mother. And I knew that this is not what schizophrenia looks like. This is not what bipolar disorder looks like and was able to advocate and get him, you know, deep care months in the hospital. I mean, our journey is a very long one. 
And so the thing that went in my mind was, it's not okay that every child doesn't get what my child got. But the other piece is, despite all of my privileges, I and my husband had the experience of how parents are treated in the medical system and how they're marginalized and not listened to. And that's why, you know, we have the family focus, not only in terms of considering the whole family, but we believe that parents are the experts of their children and they are coming to partner with other experts in mental health, other areas together to be a team to figure out how best to support a child and family. And we were fortunate at Duke. We had an incredible clinical team, which now is the Autoimmune Brain Disorders Clinic at Duke, where it was a multidisciplinary model where the neurologist, rheumatologist, and child psychiatrist came in in person to do the visits and checkups with families. And so instead of asking the parents to be the quarterback of the team, like, oh, what did the neurologist say? What did the psychiatrist say? They took on the responsibility as a team of being the quarterback of the team. And so it's something I supported in my leadership role in child psychiatry at Duke. And again, has you know blossomed into the approach that we're building a little otter. Thank you for sharing that very personal journey. That was it's really inspiring to hear how you, how you've built this out of both of your professional experiences and your personal experiences. What is the motivation behind the name? When we speak to company founders, we often find that there's so much thought that's been put into this. Where does Little Otter come from? So growing up, we spent a lot of time in British Columbia, out on the islands outside of Vancouver. And so it had a very important place in our family's heart. And there are a lot of adorable otters there. And so that was the inspiration for our colors or the Pacific Northwest, even though we are from North Carolina, we have a lot of kinship to that place. And otters are very sweet creatures. Well, sea otters are very sweet creatures. I mean, we've all seen the videos of them holding hands while they're sleeping. They are always in these family units and pods, right? So we felt like it was a great representation of of what we were trying to build. That's lovely. And I think the other piece of very consciously in our name, but also our illustrations, is trying to create a world that is beautiful, that is joyful, and that we can relate to like we do with children's books, where we're we're really trying to transform how people think about mental health. This is partially about mental illness and impairing mental health disorders. It's also about supporting mental health. It needs to go from promoting mental health to preventing and identifying problems to intervening early and then providing treatment. And we want that to be woven into a family's life and help parents have the tools and the knowledge to know that every investment we make in our children's mental health is an investment in their overall health, their later mental health, as well as their ability to thrive in their work, in their relationships. It's not something that should be shameful thought of that way or sort of relegated off as a medical concept. One of the things that I noticed on your website was a set of different considerations and where Little Otter was, 
as related to those considerations and where others were in relation to those considerations. For example, never on a wait list, mental health checkups. Can you help walk us through how those considerations came to your attention and why they are important in terms of providing the right care modalities to your customers? Well, I'm going to turn this over to Helen because I want her to explain why mental health care has a long way to go and where the current state of mental health care is and what we're trying to do at Little Otter and why, as you said, these considerations are so important in the way that we we built our model. I think the important thing to recognize is that child and adolescent mental health is really broken in so many ways. And it's not just an access question, it's quality question and a translation of the tools that we know to identify what challenges children are having and then to provide children with science-based, <laughs> evidence-based care that has been shown to be effective. So I think one of the challenges with pediatric digital mental health companies is that we can't just, our goal is not to recreate what are the community standards or what are available in the community. We're trying to create something that's better and that really represents the best. Now, I've led two very large departments, was head of the child division at Duke, and then, of course, running my department. So I have a lot of experience in how we create outstanding, academically rigorous, scientific care for families. But again, it doesn't happen outside of academia. So we're bringing bringing that. I'm going to highlight two things that I think differentiate us. Number one, in order to do this, we must have providers who are full-time in our company, who are rigorously screened, we're extremely selective in the people who join Little Otter, and then training as well as ongoing supervision, didactics, case conferences, all the kinds of learning community components that, one, ensure quality care, and number two, give the best providers an opportunity to practice in a dynamic environment where they can interact with their peers and keep learning. I think that's another piece is that our model of care is team-based. So when people join Little Otter, you do the assessment. I'm going to tell you about the checkup in a minute. But then they do a welcome call with one of our parenting specialists to hear about what the challenges are and then are referred to care based on what we learn. And then a full diagnostic assessment is done. And often we have over 30% of our families are working with more than one little otter provider because we provide child therapy, child psychiatry, parenting learning with, you know, master's level folks who are delivering evidence-based parenting guidance and support. We do couples counseling and we provide mental health care to parents. And so when we're working with multiple members of the family, our different providers, we work as an integrated team and are collaborating together so that there aren't silos And that's something very appealing to providers also. So that's one piece. I think that's very, very different. The other piece that's different is my area of expertise. I'm an epidemiologist, so from a public health perspective, and a 
expert in assessment. I developed the first structured diagnostic interview for assessing mental health challenges in children two to six, which is now translated into multiple languages and is this international gold standard. And I'm mentioning that because I think we have other companies or clinics who maybe use measures, but then how is that screener (laughs) translated? How does it inform care? That's not measurement-based care. What measurement-based care is measuring things to inform your clinical decisions and then to see what is the problem and define it and figure out what is success going to look like and be able to assess the outcomes. So the sort of cornerstone of Little Otter is something I created called the Child and Family Mental Health Checkup, which is our universal screener. And it has three components, child mental health, parent mental health, caregiver mental health, and then family mental health. From the child perspective, again, this is very important, is it's developmentally sensitive. So we have separate sections for infants, toddlers, preschoolers, and school-age children. And then for the parents, we screen for anxiety and depression. And for the family, we assess the level of stress and distress that the family's experiencing. But we also assess the parent-partner relationship and the co-parenting relationship. Because those, all of these factors I've just described are all critical components in understanding how to help a child and how to help a family. When you think about this from an academic perspective, what is the cost of having this go untreated? The cost is astronomical. So we know that 20%, one out of five children has an impairing mental health disorder. We know that in ages two to six years old, the rate of impairing mental health disorders is the same as at older ages. It's a different pattern of disorders, but the overall rate is the same. And we know that when children have mental health disorders that are untreated, it has a huge impact on their ability to function and develop. I'll give you an example in terms of early childhood. In one of my studies, the children three to five who had ADHD, and people say, oh, you can't diagnose it. Well, you can actually. But if we looked, it's way beyond the symptoms of these children. 45% had been suspended from their preschool at least once. 15% had been expelled from their preschool. And over 80% were already impaired in their relationships with peers, siblings, parents, and teachers. So I think that the key thing is it's not about the symptoms. It's about the impact on the child's development and on the family. I'll give you an example. You could have a child with separation anxiety disorder, in this case, a little one who doesn't go to preschool, never is left with a babysitter, sleeps in the bed with mom while dad is sleeping in the guest room or on the couch, et cetera, that child is not experiencing anxiety symptoms, but that family has been turned completely upside down to keep that child from having these symptoms of anxiety. So a key thing in the early childhood field that we think goes across, I think, the lifespan is 
understanding the impact of mental health challenges is important on the individual, but understanding the impact on the family members and all the people around them. And there, you know, in my work as an epidemiologist means that we follow children over time to see what the outcomes are for children who have mental health challenges. And it impacts and increases their rates of having mental health challenges in childhood, increases the rates in adulthood, increases the rates of physical problems. Having mental health challenges that are untreated as a child means that you're at you know, multiple increased risk for mental health challenges in adulthood. You're at increased risk for heart attacks for diabetes, for other health conditions. So there's a compounding of the impact on the individual, on the family, on the community, on the society, in how the adverse impacts affect people graduating from school, people being able to be effective employees and work and relationships and domestic abuse. And in all of these domains, it has a ripple out impact that in some ways is silent, but is absolutely massive. And it's also the child mental health crisis was a crisis before the pandemic. Now, after the stress of these three years, which is not only the pandemic, it's around George Floyd's murder and, you know, the other experiences of racism about the economic challenges that people are facing, the political conflict that people are experiencing all together, these stresses at the society and community level are having huge impacts on children and on their parents. The rates of anxiety and depression in adults has increased and it has increased in children. There's been such an influx of capital into this space and there's so many companies that are trying to get into it. And there, I think there are a lot of people trying to assess, like they're, you know, venture capitalists trying to figure out where to put funds, their parents trying to figure out how to get their kids care. There are people like me who want to work in the space who are looking at these companies and trying to say, which ones are actually working? It's really hard to tell. Do you have any advice for any, any of those people that are looking at this wide range of companies? And it's amazing that so many people want to get into the space right now, but. Which was not true. Let's just say was not <laughs> true when we raised our seed round. <laughs> we were yeah. convincing people this was a big market and a good one to invest in. Yeah. Yeah. So any, any advice for how to, how to look at these companies and understand where is impact being made? Which ones have legs to stand on? Yeah. Well, I think evaluating them, it depends what you're looking for, right? I think there's the basic evaluation that you need to understand is like, is the startup real or not? Does it have legs? Which is just like, how are they spending money? Who are their investors? What does the team look like? But I think when you're looking at any of these companies, you have to look at the founders the culture, the experience, everything, it comes from the top. You're so personally invested in this company. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's clear. <laughs> to an unhealthy degree, we can call that out. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that's coming to mind for me is like, how do you not take it home? How do you actually respect the boundary of colleagues versus mother and daughter? So as to go and avoid burnout or anything else that would be negative that couldn't come along with not having those boundaries in place? Well, I, I think one boundary thing that we do is at work, Rebecca calls me Helen and out of work, she calls me mom. And that helps 
us. It helps us, but I think it helps our employees because we are in our role as co-founders, CEO, CMO, when we are in that space. But then we can, in the role of mother and daughter, be aware of that. We all wear different hats and we bring different parts of ourselves. But I think really the honest answer is I've done a lot of therapy. We both have done a lot of therapy. We're very aware of our responsibility to work on our own issues and to be able to have the tools to be able to have hard conversations, to realize that conflict or difference isn't scary, that it's part of creativity and sharing the joy of doing this company and sharing the joy of making pies for Thanksgiving. When I left NYU Langone, which was really hard, I loved my department. It was an amazing job. And I would just say, but I get to build a company with my daughter. How amazing is that? And I will say as a parent, it's been such a privilege to be able to really know Rebecca as a leader and to be able to see her capacities. And here's another piece that I will say, you have to have clear boundaries in the sense that if there is a disagreement and a decision has to be made, Rebecca is the CEO of the company. In the end, the decision comes to her. And I think being able to be very, very clear about that and speak about things like that is very important from the beginning. I mean, it's been working fantastically. I will tell you, though, I have three little brothers and a very lovely husband who feel like many times dinners turn into business meetings. And we have to create very, very clear boundaries for that reason. It's very, yeah, we'll be, you know, I'll try to get my husband to come over for dinner. And he's like, is it going to be a business meeting? And I'm like, (laughs) well, no, we're just having dinner. And it's like, okay, well, all right. But I think... I think it's also, we enjoy it, right? It's fun. We're doing this together and it's it's enjoyable. But I definitely do call you sometimes and I'm like, I need a mom talk. Yes. Siobhan say, I'm calling you because I need you as a mom right now. And then yeah. that's, you know, so we can have those ways of signaling to each other to really meet each other's needs and realize that it's multifaceted. Yeah, but it's fun. I mean, I'm I'm obviously really like my mom. And so I always am trying to get her to hang out with me. It's been working pretty well. Rebecca and Dr. Egger, it has been such a pleasure chatting with you today, hearing about your relationship as co-founders, relationship as a mother and daughter, and just all the amazing work that Little Otter is doing. Before we go, I was wondering if you could offer our listeners any words of wisdom on how they can be better champions of their own mental health and well-being and that of their loved ones. Set boundaries. Yeah, I think figure out what you need. And it goes back to like, take care of yourself so you can take care of others. And as you said, so much of our work and the why we, I think, can do this company now is because we've invested so much in our own mental health and learned a lot and screwed up. And I think spending time to care about yourself will put you in a better position to care for yourself later and for others. And I would say to parents, it's important to understand that all behavior is a form of communication. And particularly for younger children, they're not going to have access to the language to describe their sadness, their fear, their anger, their big emotions that are overwhelming them. 
And it's so important to recognize that being able to connect, observe, acknowledge what our children are feeling is going to be the key to be able to manage difficult behaviors and other kinds of challenges that we have to have just as we have a deep should have a deep respect ourselves for our emotional lives and experiences we should have that same level of respect and engagement with our children's emotions and feelings absolutely absolutely i very much appreciate your time thank you for taking this hour and a half out of your schedule to go and be with us it's been a tremendous conversation Thank you so much for joining us today as we learned about how to improve the access to and quality of mental health care. We would like to send a special thanks to our partners, Google and the UC Berkeley Haas School of Business. And we would, of course, like to thank Ventures FM for making this podcast come to life. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. 